Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. It didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke, don't do If I had a million dollars... Well, I hope Jack's not come out. Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures down 20. NASDAQ Futures down 52. Dow Futures down 119. Um, we have a bunch of earnings reports this morning that we'll go through as we go. Uh, uh, Biden's running for office, if you haven't heard that this morning. Uh, <clears throat> I guess that's the big news, but I think most people probably figured that out. He talked to Brendan last night, and Brendan gave him the go-ahead, so uh, there you go. What do you think? What, what did you say, I, I, what did you say did. to Joe? I, I did, but as a surprise, he didn't really understood what I said, because I said, <laughs> I don't think it's a good idea for you to run for office. Uh, and he goes, well, thank you for your support. Yeah. Thank you for your vote, and uh, by the way, make sure you send the check to uh, this address. Yeah. The uh, I was reading a little bit, Brendan, about how America in general is so put off by another another Trump Biden election. They're, you know, I don't know. I, I've been it's. Well, my my feeling is that I think not only is America put off by the prospect of a repeat of 2020 with Trump versus Biden, but I feel there's an enormous amount of support. For having neither Trump nor Biden as a presidential candidate, and look for two completely different candidates. Uh, I would agree, but who? Uh, that remains to be seen. But you know, in in uh, in, in two thousand seven or late two thousand six, you weren't even sure about a guy by the name of Obama whether he was going to be on the scene or not. It, it seems like you know, and in twenty sixteen. The heavy money was on Jeb Bush being the Republican nominee, yep. so you never know where things are going to go. Well, it's pretty hard against the, well, two incumbents basically. Uh, yeah, it's uh, plus you have the uh, the issue with the Republican. Th- I think you can uh, RFK's kid or anybody could run against Biden on just you know age, competency, blah blah blah, and that really. Have a have a problem running against them. I think running against Trump, you there, there's still 15 percent of that party, or 18 maybe, maybe 20, that somehow thinks that guy's a savior to something. So that's right. So, but I, I don't think you if you run against Biden, I don't think you necessarily bury yourself against 20 percent of Democrats. But I think you probably do as a Republican. You really got to come out of that somehow. Oh, absolutely. And when you're looking at the Republican primary. The more people who are there, especially in the early primaries, the better for Trump because his hardcore supporters, that 18, 20 percent or, or so that you talk about, will show up in the primary. You know, it, it's like the old Democratic primaries here in Chicago. The precinct captains knew who their core votes were, and you pull the lever uh, for the entire Democratic ticket, and Trump supporters are going to come out. And it'll be a, another example of minority rule, even a minority of the Republican Party 
would are diehard folks for Donald Trump and would vote him for anything. Even if even if the, the trials were to reach fruition and hypothetically he is convicted and on the verge of being sentenced so that he would have to, to serve some of his time in jail, they would still vote for him. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a, well, I mean, when you look at it, what, what, I, what I try and do, uh, Brennan, I don't, know if, I don't know if this has made me happier or, or not, you can be my psychologist, whenever people are, are the way they are, even if they disagree with me totally, I try and f- I'm trying to find out what it is they see that gives them the opinion that they have. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm, and as everybody listens who's ever listened, knows I'm a zero fan of Trump. I couldn't stand the guy long before he... I talked to enough people in New York to find out what kind of guy he was, so many people that he owed. I, I, I just... I just Hair goes up in the back of my neck when I even see the guy. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just the way I am. But the people who... Uh, I say, you know, we say something like, or it's just obvious the guy has never said a truthful word in his life, basically. And people will say, well, they're all the same. And you know what? They're not wrong about that, necessarily. I mean, every one of these guys lies like they have no conscience, they have zero conscience. And if you if you look at some of the, I mean, the guy's got everybody around him in jail. Uh, he's been, to my, to my, uh, Opinion: He's been damn near a crook his whole life, but he but he had he always had the upper hand when it came to uh, lawyers on staff, where you couldn't sue the guy because all he did was drain you dry. He knew the system, and so I mean, I, I, like I said, there's nothing positive I can say about the dude except he does know how how bad government is because he was on the other side. Like most of these guys, never have been. He has a, he has a sense that virtually no community organizer here in Chicago has. He actually has had a business. He has had people that work for him. And by then he knows how, 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 how the other side, the cities and, and, the, and the counties, and how, and how crooked the people in office really are and the bureaucrats mm-hmm. and stuff. So he has a sense about him that most people don't have that actually is fairly attractive. I mean, even to me. And, uh, and, and, and he also, uh, the fact that every, every conceivable law enforcement person, he's... He gives you an instance, even though he doesn't, ha- you know, he has the social grace of a wildebeest. He gives you an idea of just how, if anybody wants to go to Washington and upset the apple cart, how resistant they're going to be and how they're going to come at come at you with knives from every angle. I mean, he he was foolish enough to let himself to not behave to the point where they're coming at him with real substance, because he he has had a bunch of crazy crazy stuff that nobody would have done. You'd think he'd have kept his nose clean, but he didn't. But the simple fact is. If if you or I, if the two of us landed there and we just wanted to be purer than Pharaoh's wife and just decided this place is too big and these guys aren't doing their job right and this prosecutorial discretion is is gotten crazy when you only go after people they don't like, if we wanted to change that, Brendan, I think we'd run into the same problem he did. I don't, I mean I I think those people, hundreds hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people there just need to be absolutely fired tomorrow, and and to be hired back maybe under a new regime because they're 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 they're, they're, they're septic, I think. But I, I say what happens in our industry with, you know, the, the regulatory stuff here. And, he, and look what happened to the banks. They're not doing their job. What do they do all day? They come after the wrong people. They, they harass the people that they can harass, that don't, they can't fight back. I mean, I, I think the whole thing is septic. I really do. And so when Trump says something like that, I can see how that appeals, to be honest with you. Well, I certainly see that there's an appeal for some of the things and some of the anger that is espoused 
by him. What I don't like is the approach that many politicians are taking of uh, just having no principles. Now, now well, you I agree. Can, oh, I'm with you. You can you can go uh, down the line of the things that that Trump has espoused in Republican leadership, but that's the exact opposite of what their party stood for for decades. And um, I mean, small government, small government, and personal privacy, two things, and yet you look at the the idea of book banning or uh, or uh, abortion, the idea of of banning contraceptives in the bedroom. Um, I mean, even regardless of, of your personal feelings of homosexuality or transgenderism, isn't that something that's private in the bedroom or in the household of the individual? And how can the how can the the party of small government and personal freedom interfere with that? Um, I'm gonna. Well, you know, Brennan, I, I I don't know too much. There are only kids, so I uh, I've never had I've never had, <clears throat> had an issue whatsoever with uh, homosexuality or whatever. I mean, whatever you you do on your own, I think is 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 uh, is fine with me. Like you say, what you're doing in your own house. This is America. You're supposed to be free, but somehow or another, I don't know how people have taken this to this incredibly new level where, where every single you know TV everything of this everybody it, it, it's gone from where people don't want their kids learning you know about it's almost become a, a promotion more than a acceptance to, to a huge extent and I don't think government should be doing that either both sides are almost turning into it's all I mean it's it's very similar to what's happening in the in the Muslims, the religion wants to take over the government. They don't. They, don't, they really don't want a secular government. And I don't I think. And neither one of the sides right now wants a secular government. They want. They want their I, stuff to be promoted by government. And I don't like that on either side. That's not. That's not I, the way we are. Or maybe I we're getting. I not agree with you more about that. And Supreme Court decisions, which are giving more deference to religion in general, but particularly white and Christian uh, evangelical types of beliefs is uh, is abhorrent to me. I, yeah. religion, religion does not belong in government. Well, I I think the the, the abortion issue is, as a Catholic, oh, I'm against it, okay? But that doesn't mean, that, but I think as, as a secular issue, we have to figure out when the rights of the unborn become essentially a person and start to pick up some of the rights that that become and if that numbers 10 12 weeks whatever people should be able to agree on even though I would never recommend somebody getting one I'd find another way uh, mm-hmm. you know I, I think that it's it, it that's the way that the secular issue should deal with it even though as a Catholic I would certainly hope that I could do something for unwed mothers and stuff that where they wouldn't have to have one but that's that's my business or that, that's a business of the Catholic Church. It's not the secular story, I don't think. Well, that I agree with that. And then there are also other religions, like the Jewish religions, which don't consider a fetus uh, a human being until birth. And then, you know, the, the, if you go back even in history, when you talk about the originalists of the Constitution, the idea of, of the viability of a fetus was at quickening, when they could um, 
there was a stage in gestation of about 18 weeks when the quickening happened, and that was uh, deemed viability for the for the religious teachings at the time. Um, so, you know, it, it, it is a very complicated thing, but I do think that in many cases right now, religion is driving the government directive, and it's on both sides. Oh, yeah, absolutely, it's on both sides. Yeah, so in my feeling is that religion should not have a role in political decisions. Now, that's that's certainly not the case in America right now, but I, you know, we were founded on the idea of religious freedom because the people who came over here were fleeing religious persecution in England. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it happened that it was predominantly uh, a Protestant nation in those early years, um, and it has grown with the influx of. Well, because they were they were here first, basically. I mean, your your first your first uh, the power positions and and started the government, but and yes, they they, so they they were the majority at one time, uh, as far as Christians and. and but that doesn't mean that I mean the, the premise of the the country's founding was not Christianity. It was for religious freedom. You know, you, you had William Penn in what became Pennsylvania as Quakers. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you had different minority groups that settled in Rhode Island were given the colony of Rhode Island or Connecticut or or parts of Massachusetts because they allowed them to set up their own religious colony away from England. Well, then if you had the, the, I won't say the Navy, but the Merchant Marine to get people here, most of them were British or Dutch, and they were Protestant. Yeah. But if if if, if the Italians would have had a bunch of ships and got here first, they, they were all Catholic. You know, so it was a question of, you know, who got here. But, you know, I wanted to ask, you, you know more about the, what's going on in Chicago and the, the history of this than I do, but I was watching the thing with this Walmart, and I was watching... Uh, listening to some people on Sunday on whatever the station. What's the show that's about Chicago politics? It's before Face the Nation and BBM. Matt, you know, what I'm talking, you know which one I'm talking about. Uh, I know what you're talking about. I actually don't know what it's called. I, mean, I don't know either. I don't know what it's called either, but I know what you're talking about, yes. They always have somebody here, and they had a young uh, black lady on and an older uh, black dude who was some kind of an organizer. And they were talking about, you know, and they had Dick Durbin on for a little bit. And... Uh, Center and uh, you know they're talking about the problem with violence here, and the idea and the, and the black guys talking about uh, you know being not not letting people go downtown and how when he was younger he used to go downtown and so forth and and the young lady was talking about well you know the problem is that people that have been hurt their whole life uh, tend to learn how to hurt other people and it's just it's a it's a drug problem it's a neighborhood problem it's a school problem it's a blah 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 and nothing they said. Brandon, I disagreed with, but nothing they said either was a solution. Right. I mean, uh, there's no. But my question is: the everybody, both of them, represented themselves as somebody who worked for some group that tried to do this and tried to do that, jobs and education. Where, where did this money in these neighborhoods? I'm talking to Maddie on the way in here. Um, where did this money in these neighborhoods and the, these alleged do-gooder type of people, community organizer? And it's not a slam. It's when did when did the city when does the government have to go through the, who anoints them as the person that has to get the money to go help other people if they're helping everybody they can't be all helping everybody because the areas don't look any any different to me I mean, which isn't to say that there aren't groups there that you know have provided 15 people with training to have jobs and behind the scenes there's there's people you don't even know about that are doing really good stuff I'm sure there are 
or there is or there are, but how is it that we all was, who anoints them? I mean, when Walmart closed, there's five guys out there talking about, well, they didn't come talk to us. Who the bleep are you? I mean, I, why do I have to ask you? <laughs> you never come up with a dime in your life. I mean, you That's don't right. have a. I mean, wh- I mean, why do I have to ask you whether I can open up a store or close it? I mean, the American way is you can pretty much do whatever you want, right? As long as you don't hurt anybody. I mean, I, I don't get how we all of a sudden now. And actually, I know somebody who worked for Lori Lightfoot and ran for alderman. And that was her job was to deal with these people and said it was a total pain in the ass. Everybody, yep. everybody wants their dime. Hey, if you don't if you don't come through me, you can't be in my neighborhood. Well, who are you? I mean, you're not elected. You're not anything. Only aldermen are almost as bad. But I mean, when did all when did this all start? Um, grassroots organizations. You know, I I think they they started to gain prominence in the '70s and the '80s. You know, after the big social upheaval in the the '60s. And quite honestly, chief, it's it's our generation that you know started the impetus behind this with um, with, with support groups and, and grassroots organizations. And um, people who are more altruistic will say in in their approach that they're not going to work for Procter and Gamble. They're not going to work for IBM. They're going to instead use their talents for community organization, grassroots level. And so they started applying for for government grants and getting money from local, state, and federal governments to set up these programs. Well, I think we should cut all that out. I mean, why? 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 I don't, I don't, anyway, I don't. Maybe not, but well, just go ahead. To get to the point that that you refer to, that was made by the people on the TV program. You know, there, there's a philosopher by the name of Richard Rohr. He's a Catholic priest who uh, lives in a monastery down in New Mexico, and one of his quotes is that a person who does not transform his pain transmits his pain, and so finding a way to take the pain of people in low economic situations. Here's I'm talking about the theory now. You know, if you don't figure out a way for them to transform their pain into something positive, they're going to transmit it. They're going to act out and hurt well, other I don't, people. I think he's absolutely right about that. Yeah. And and the idea that that is espoused by a lot of community leaders is that we are helping the people in these communities transform their pain so that they don't transmit their pain. And you know, but there's a lead time when that has to happen. You know, it, it's not going to happen because I walk into a place at 79th and State and say, "Transform your pain," so you don't transmit it. Uh, they'll laugh me out of there, throw me out of there, if not worse. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it, it's a very very complicated problem, and has gotten to the point where it's not a quick fix. It's not throwing money at it. It's not listening to the community organizers. And there has to be a balance. You look at Whole Foods, you look at Walmart going into poor economic communities, and why are they not able to survive as a business model in those areas? Um, you know, what what are the bottom lines of income being generated from those stores? How do they compare elsewhere? And is there an argument to be made that they, as a social citizen, should they be able to devote X amount of loss at three or four stores to for the greater good? And, but, but you uh, don't. I don't know how you. I, I guess I really do understand this this sort of this situation because I grew up there. I, mean, I pretty much grew up in Inglewood, for God's sake. Yeah. But I. Yeah. But the the there there's a reason why. Some place is a food desert. Nobody wants to open up a store. Well, why don't they? Well, people don't come in and shop. Or if they, 
there, there's shrinkage, shall we say. There's, I mean, there, there's reasons why this is the way it is. I mean, there's reasons why if you go into some place selling booze, everything's behind bulletproof glass. I mean, yep. the, the cost of doing business is... But I, I, you, I mean, I when I was a kid, I don't know how often you used to go down there, but we basically lived at 63rd and Halsted. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Look, it was, I lived at 73rd and Green. I lived at 78th and Green. So I was a mile and a half away from Ground Zero on the southwest side of 63rd and Halsted. I remember the Sears store on the corner. Well, of there was 63rd. a Sears. There was a Weebles. There was a Morris B. Sachs. There, was, there, yeah. were, there were five. I mean, but the, the guy who was on the air talked about uh, there's nothing for these kids to do in these neighborhoods. And, by the way, he's absolutely right. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but they don't. And he starts talking about the kids in Winnetka have something to do. They have an ice skating rink. They have a gymnasium. And I, and you know what, I, as, as the kid, I, well, as, as I used to be a kid, I really understand what they're talking about, Brendan, but I also know what the part that he's missing, and I'm not a big fan of Winnetka, but, I mean, the part that he's missing is their families up there that got married, either they stayed married or at least they supported the kids all the way through. They have a job or two. You know, maybe they inherited money. Maybe they they could be goosebumps too. But the fact is, they paid for that. It isn't. It's it's, it's you know they're 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 missing this point <clears throat> that <clears throat> those people in Onetka paid for that. You and I didn't. They didn't ask mm-hmm. me for any money. They did it. I mean, if if the people in the neighborhood, I mean, if St. John Fisher wants to go around and get pledges from people to build a gymnasium. You can't say those people don't deserve the gymnasium. They paid for it. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 this whole American process seems lost to me. But when I, when I listen to, to uh, a lot of the people you, you listen to on TV these days, they don't get it. I mean, 63rd and Austin, there were five movie theaters within, <clears throat> what, a thousand yards of uh, 63rd and Austin. Yeah. They're all down. Why are they down? Nobody supported them. Nobody, nobody, nobody bought them and said, we're going to keep these here. We're not. We don't. We don't want to go downtown to go to the movie. We want to go right here. I mean, right. I mean, but the the places are down, and I don't know how. I don't know how you get the money to to start from ground zero in a, when you got a flat land. Brandon, it's a whole different program than the north side where the businesses were still there in Brooklyn, where the, the buildings are still up. But I. But the, the fact is, I you know there's there's no there there's <clears throat> it's it starts with having some kind of family life. Taking care of your kids, uh, making some money, having some jobs, teaching the kids the right way, and and having investment from the community. It's not about getting money out of other people because they have stuff you don't have and you don't know why. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know how you turn that that mental bus around. I. But by the way, it's pretty hard now. You, right now, there has to be help from other places. But I would do it in totally different ways. I would have adult education in the high schools at night. I would have kids be able to go somewhere for eight weeks in the summer uh, <clears throat> to learn how to do stuff. <clears throat> There's all kinds of stuff that I would do that is not being done now by the city, by the organizers, by the aldermen, whatever, and hope that it worked. But I think there's things we could do but that aren't happening. But I don't think their methods are the right ones. They clearly aren't working. Uh, I, I, I agree with that. And it is a complex problem, and just throwing money into it from federal or state or local resources is not the solution because it's a much deeper issue with much deeper roots than just trying to throw X amount of dollars in it in 2023. And, you know, I can't tell you which is a better approach to go from adult education to 
try to transform the the, the lifestyle and the, the perspective of people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 70s, or try to go to something like a, a Project Head Start you know, and go for yeah. the younger generation with some uh, from from ground up, from young kids up, knowing that they're going to fall into the same system. I, I, I don't have an answer for that. Well, I think you have to try stuff, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, I mean, I think you, you do have to have a, a way where kids can go out of the neighborhood. I mean, you remember uh, Gene, who was on the show a couple times, and in, in the inner city Detroit, they... Uh, they had these engineering programs that people were trying to put right. money money mm-hmm. into, and she said the thing that, that that broke the back of it not working was having buses every night take the kids to another location where they could concentrate yeah. on what they were doing instead yeah. of having bullets whizzing over their head and, and having problems in the hood. So two or three mm-hmm. nights a week they would <clears throat> go to essentially a warehouse and and they would do their just like you would take you know football teams elsewhere to go play football. So I mean yeah. there, there, there's ways to do this. That people don't seem to want to do it because now all of a sudden I think these guys there's a lot of money being if you came in with a new idea I don't think the organizers if the if the idea didn't include them Brendan I'm not so sure they'd be for it. Well, yeah, it's a great idea, but the only one who could implement it is me. Yeah, <laughs> but you know because this is these are you can't just let this stuff keep going downhill. And I and I I agree that uh, you know people need some help at some point, but it, it, the help has to be. The end of the day is for you to take care of yourself. And I don't well, see that. The that, other issue here is also one of safety. And, yeah. you know, the the idea of what transpired in downtown Chicago, what, 10 days ago now, that impacted the safety of people. It, it was not a peaceful protest. I mean, we're not talking about uh, a peaceful march through Marquette Park or no. through the west side of Chicago where uh, people are... Uh, Protesting against the you know illegitimate use of monies or or unavailability of housing and what have you, there were significant danger risks to people who were innocent bystanders who were tourists, um, and that's that's where the line gets crossed, in my mind. That regardless of how you want to try to solve the problem, before you try to solve the problem, you need to make sure that there's safety and a legitimate outlet, a legitimate peaceful outlet for the protests. And jumping on cars, breaking windows, uh, assaulting people, tourists, and other people in cars, is not the way to endure yourself or say that we have a need for more money. Because well, people <clears> when you have a throw you in jail when you start throwing seventeen, eighteen thousand per student at people in high school, and the only solution you can have is that if that number was just twenty two, all would be okay. Nobody believes that anymore, Brennan. Nobody no, believes that. Anyway, thank you very much, buddy. Have yourself a nice week. SP Futures down 16. NASDAQ Futures down 40. We've got UPS down uh, 9 bucks on their earnings. We have McDonald's up 244 on theirs. As they claim higher prices uh, has not stopped the foot traffic. So there you go. We'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. 
Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, and jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tamal Matt Weber on the board. So Matt, it says here, stocks futures dip as traders pour through earnings reports. So that's what Joel's doing for us, pouring through the earnings <laughs> report. SP Futures down 17, NASDAQ Futures down 44, Dow Futures down 82, even though McDonald's is up about 255, trading 295.75. And the, uh, they claim the higher, higher prices didn't put people off. Uh, I, mean, I guess it's, uh, they are higher, I'll say that for them. Uh, over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei up 26, call that flat. These guys have been, well, the Nikkei's been pretty slow. Hang Seng, however, down 342, 19,617, that's almost 2%, 1.7. Shanghai down 10.3% as Hang Seng continues to have in excess of 1% moves just about, I won't say every day, but darn near every day. Uh, crazy stuff. The DAX down 10, call that flat. Puts it down 21.3%. Kek around down 44.6%. Um, banks are down like 1.8% across the board over there. So uh, that's what's causing the uh, French to be down that much. Uh, yesterday, slow day, Dow up 66, S&P up 3, NASDAQ down 35, slow and uh, wobbly. Uh, bonds down 7 basis points, 3.44, the Bund down 4 basis points, 2.45, Japan up 1 to almost 0.49 now, 0.485. We've got oil up, down 58 cents, 78.18, Brent down 57 cents, 82.16, natural gas down 6 cents, 220, Arbob unchanged at 262, we've got gold. Uh, down seven bucks, 1992. Is it's in the high 1900s here? And trying to get back over 2,000, can't make it at least today so far. Silver down 44 cents. That's a big move, almost two percent. 24.86. Copper down nine cents. That's over two percent as well. 3.86. We've got Bitcoin down two bucks, 27,373. And we have the U.S. dollar is actually up a little bit. Uh, that's one of the reasons why these things are all down. With the euro still at 110 though. And the pound is 124 because the dollar's been going down on today. It's up a little bit. Uh, Matty, we have for us, Trevor, Weather Sports. 
36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We're off to a pretty good start here on a Tuesday morning, although there are wet and rainy conditions uh, in the area, so keep that in mind. But no accidents to report on the Edens and Kennedy as traffic builds. Same for the Eisenhower and Stevenson. Southside expressways are looking good. Only crash in the area is just over the Indiana border on uh, Highway 30. Looks like between Calumet Avenue and Castlewood Drive, uh, Highway 30 is closed due to an overturned vehicle that happened uh, earlier this morning. So a cruiser on the scene there, and that's just across the Indiana border on the Indiana side of uh, Highway 30. Everything else all quiet out there. Weather today uh, will be rainy on and off throughout the day and will be about 18 degrees below normal as uh, this chilly uh, streak continues. Uh, Rain and a high of just 44. Right now it's overcast and 42 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, no sun or uh, no rain, no cold down there. Sunny with a high of 90. Right now it's clear and 88. In sports, White Sox continue to struggle. They lost up in Toronto to the Blue Jays 5-2. Sox are 7-16, uh, 23 games into their season. Cubs are off last night. They'll host the Padres tonight at Wrigley, weather permitting. Cubs are 12-9, even after they dropped 3-4 to the Dodgers. Diamondbacks beat the Royals 5-4, and uh, Arizona, one of the surprise teams in all of baseball, off to an early start of 13-11. Chief. Do they have no people, or are they just playing okay? I honestly don't know much about the, the Diamondbacks roster. Yeah, I don't either. I'm, uh, I know the Sox aren't doing so high. Do we have Mr. Joel? We do. Joel, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Uh, we're doing good. Uh, weather here, not so good. as like A couple weeks ago, we had some nice stuff. Now it's been cold and kind of rainy for the last few days, but uh, we'll survive, you know. Yeah, take the under. Take the under on the average temperature, huh? Not a not a good spring. I'd hate to be a Major League Baseball player. Yeah, Maddie and I were talking this morning. We couldn't figure out exactly why the Bulls traded Jimmy Butler. At <laughs> <laughs> 56 last night. Yeah, the, uh, and he was he was a man among boys last night. I mean, he, he, he was unbelievable rebounding and assisting, and good Lord. Yeah, uh, the Heat uh, won game from uh, eliminating the number one seed in the NBA uh, in the NBA Finals, the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, did Giannis play? Is he still banged up? He, he played, but he doesn't look himself, does he, Manny? I yeah, a lot of a lot of injuries uh, in this postseason. Also, uh, something you don't see in a regular season, and these guys are actually playing defense uh, instead of just letting people walk to the basket. So. Pretty far removed from the NBA scene with uh, my our Pistons uh, having yeah. another disappointing year, but uh, you know what? I tuned into the uh, a little bit of the uh, uh, Sacramento uh, Lakers game, right? Uh, well, no, no, Sacramento. It's the Grizzlies and the Lakers. Sacramento and Golden State. Old Stephen Curry uh, pulled a trick out of the Chris Webber playbook calling a timeout that was uh pretty incredible but that. uh yeah a, a little a little bit of interest in the nba finals even though uh even though i don't have a uh, a horse in the race the playoffs are a lot better there's no doubt and and it's actually very noticeable uh, how much harder guys are playing and playing through injuries and and you know really playing hard defense uh it, it is fun to watch you and who do you guys like? You guys got uh, uh, the the Bulls? Are the Bulls in the playoffs? The Bulls, they lost to Miami, right? Yeah, Maybe? they were in the play-in yeah. tournament, and they beat Toronto, and then they went to Miami and actually were up with three minutes to go and then lost to Miami. Otherwise, they'd be playing the Bucks right now. So the Bulls are out. I've been following the Kings. Um, I enjoy watching them. So uh, they're, they're my adopted team. They are, huh? Yeah, they've been a long time since they've been in the playoffs. Yep. And, uh 
they got ripped off, right? They should have beaten the Lakers, and there was some phantom call. That was, hmm, that was. Well, was the Lakers that? are a perfect example, though. They, they're uh, these other teams that went through the whole year were virtually injury free. Both the Grizzlies and the, and the and the Milwaukee have injuries. Where the Lakers, all of a sudden, everybody's back like two weeks before the. Well, like Matty was saying they had like the best record in basketball last month. Yeah, you, I mean, you know, sports. I mean, you got you got to peak at the right time, and uh, you know, even though I'm not the world's biggest LeBron James fan, I mean, you don't go mouthing off to the goat, man. You don't. Well, one of the greatest of all time. Oh, that Dylan Brooks. I mean, what was he thinking? To you know, to you know, to spout off at the mouth of LeBron James. I mean, just asking to get kicked in the face, and that's exactly what happened. Well. Dylan did some kicking in some other places, but uh, man, oh man, you know you don't you don't talk smack, and I mean you can't talk smack, it's okay, but man, you just I, I, right away. I mean, I haven't wagered on an NBA game in like a hundred years when I when that guy mouthed off like that. That was it was pretty tempting. So, but uh, well, here he's, we almost are. Do, he's almost doing the uh, Reggie Jackson later in his career. He always seemed to be on the the DL some sometime in in September. When come come October, he was fresh. <laughs> he just basically had two weeks off, you know, with, with, with yeah. not a broken bone type injury. And, and and LeBron, he didn't play near as much this year as he did other years. He wasn't every minute, every game kind of guy. And I think it's helping him. Thirty eight years old, Chief. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm on. saying, yeah, you're not, yeah, you're not gonna play, you're not, you're not gonna play forty minutes in December if, if you want to play good in the playoffs. I mean, it's you know, I mean, the guy who did that with uh, Wade, Betty, I don't even remember. Uh, the guy who did that was where well, they thought Chet Walker had kind of uh, uh, used up his career somewhere, and he got on the Bulls. I think he lasted, boy, Matty, four or five years under Dick Mata, and no matter what happened, no matter what was on the line, he played like 20 minutes a game, and he extended his career by like three years, and Chet was a joy to watch. You know, cause wow, he, going back to yeah. the Chet Walker and Dick Mata days. Holy well, but I'm saying Dick Mata actually w- w- was a coach that would do that, other than like Tom Thibodeau. You know, the guy come back and all of a sudden there's a close game and even though he he says he's going to play him 25 minutes the guy's playing 42 you know type of thing plus overtime you know because Tibbs could never could never hold back and say the guy's more important in the win tonight where Mata could you know I think Mata was a better coach but that's just me what now it's called load management chief yeah, now right. they even have a name for it but uh, we gotta I gotta hop here in a few minutes well, what's your uh, what's your you read on the market here and that, more more specifically what. What you read on these banks? Every, all we heard oh. for all we heard for five years, Joel, was how if the interest rates went up, all the banks were going to kick ass. And you and I kept saying for five years, we're not so sure that's true. Now every one of them's whining because the rates are up. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's hurting loan growth. I mean, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta draw a line uh, between the regional banks and the big banks. Uh, J.P. Morgan, you saw what they did off those uh, their earnings. Uh, a lot of money, you know, changing homes, and uh, I think what you know what's weighing on the market today is uh, you know the the FRC, the First Republic, traded yeah. down uh, three thirty four. So, um, if you thought we were out of the banking crisis, um, hmm, surprise here. I don't know about crisis, but uh, it, it's still a problem. You got a mixed bag of earnings. You got uh, First Republic down, UPS down. Verizon up, and then on the other hand, you know, you got Mickey D's, Pepsi, GE, uh, Triple M trading in the grain. I mean, people are are still spending, right? They need the products. It's a service industry, so have not caught the ill effects here of inflation with those. But really, chief, what it comes down to 
is uh, the big guns, right? Yeah. You know, you know, twenty five percent of the index is made up of five stocks, right? Yep. And uh, those five stocks, so you got Google and Microsoft after the bell today. You have Meta uh, after the close on Wednesday, and Amazon after the close on Thursday. So. And then the big oil is on Friday. So this is a big week. We've been in a seven-day trading range, and we keep expanding the lower end of the trading range, which is a little bit concerning to me. It sure so, is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But that's it for me, Chief. That's all, all right. I have for you. All right, take care. You've been on this FRC. The straddle was 4 bucks. When was the last time really? It was over 4 bucks. When was the last time you saw a $15 stock that's a bank having a straddle over 4 bucks for earnings? Well, it looks like the straddle riders are winning again here. It's well, down a little bit. Yep, well, they're little nervous bit. here, but they're yes, they're winning right now by fifty cents or something. Joel, take care of yourself. All right, go blue. Kenny, you with us, bud? I am here. How are you, man? How are you? Uh, so I hear you. Uh, you're, you're short, uh, short UPS. You're short FRC, and you're long McDonald's this morning. I understand. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Isn't it? Look, they all beat. They all beat on the top and bottom lines yet. You know, there's a fire going on in the kitchen. When you go inside, you realize that, you know, while the numbers are beating, they're beating these lowered estimates. What's really happening there, people have to start to look at. So you're gonna, I think you're going to start to see, you know, a realization that uh, the economy is slowing down. Stocks might be ahead of themselves. And so we'll see the market continue to back off. I think that's about right, you know. Well, there was a, uh, a dude on uh, your, your former station, CNBC, although I suspect you might be there once in a while these days still, but I don't know the... Was talking about these big stacks and the Microsofts, the ones that have really carried this rally, and there's really only four yeah. or five of them. And how he said yeah. how they've all gone from, you know, seventeen, eighteen PEs to twenty-one, twenty-two, and they've never been sustainable at those levels in any of them. Right. Uh, right. You know, and that's that's kind of a problem. Meanwhile, the the bottom half of the market, you know, I I talk to my clients all the time, and they go, "How come, like, you know, not doing as good as uh, as Facebook?" Well, you don't have any Facebook. You don't want any Facebook. I mean, uh, I mean, right. I mean uh, if, if I put you in Facebook, you'd be all pissed off because you don't want to be in there. Well, yeah, you're right. Well, then, okay. Right. <laughs> you know, so it, it, I, whenever you get these, these markets that are become narrower and narrower, it, I, it always makes me nervous, Kenny. I, it well, just does. and I agree, but, you know, it's something we've been talking about. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen, right? When is the market going to back off? You know, Morgan Stanley, uh, Mikey Wilson keeps telling us we should expect S&P 3000. Which I think is a little bit, you know, over the edge. I I see we're going to see a pullback. I just don't see S and P three thousand. Well, the, I think the question totally comes down to, and it shouldn't be Kenny, at all. The question is, what is the Fed going to do about it? Are they going to pour more money in to prop the market up, even though the economy? For God's sake, during COVID, we shut the place down and the market went up because they put so much money in the system. To where a lot of people feel they're going to do that again, and if they yeah, do, I don't think they're going to do it again. I I don't know what camp you're in. I don't think they're going to do it again. Well, they, they they better not. I mean, uh, I uh, I mean, I'm, you're starting to hear. I mean, what was the movie Drums Along the Mohawk? You're heart, you're starting to hear drums all around the world about the uh, people not being happy with the dollar, and I I think people are unhappy with the dollar, just like our citizens here ought to be. When I say it is not, it is not. What is one of the things that currency is supposed to be? Is a storehouse of value. It hasn't been there. Right. And right. I think people are they're saying, why, why am, am I, boy, that was a bad term, why, we used to call them peasants in Russia, worked my whole life for, for five $100 American bills, thinking I finally made it, and now the, the 500 bucks is worth three. Yeah, right. Hey, right. And it's yeah. probably going to be worth two if they keep going, right? Yeah. But the fact is, I don't think 
that they're going to I don't think the Fed's going to jump in this time I'm sorry they're talking about you know there's a bunch of people traders out there saying oh no we're going to get 75 base point cut by the end of the year I don't see how that could even be possible unless something really really breaks so we go way off the edge they can't be raising 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 for the first six months of the year and then suddenly you know skip one month and then go cut 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 it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me again unless we get some black swan event right out of left field that nobody expected which you know i i, I don't think is going to happen but look nobody expected covid and that happened right well okay how do you how do you balance and by the way i'm, I'm right with you on this almost word for word which is kind of scary. Uh, <laughs> plus, it's bad radio. Uh, the, um, I'm, I'm with you word for word, yet I also have this real odd, crummy feeling that the one percenters of the world or the top one, the top of the one percent of the one percent, are controlling the Fed, and they're just they're just not going to let the market go to twenty five hundred because that no, all, I, all of a sudden uh, they I become agree. like the rest of us. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think they're going to let the market go to 2500 but I don't think it's going there anyway, right? I, I think that the, you know, if we pull back to 3800 on the S&P would be, you know, a 7 or 8% pullback from where we are currently, which would be well within the normal trading band. Um, JP Morgan thinks, you know, potentially 10 to 15%. Uh, but, you know, Mikey Wilson's got a 25% downside target on it, which I think is which I think is tough. But to your point, yes, I don't think they'll let it. If it starts to get really ugly and bad, yeah, they're not going to let it go there for sure. But, but I don't I don't see that happening yet. But you look at the, I don't know if you spotted this thing. You probably knew this term, even though I didn't. I learned a new one yesterday. You ever, what do you think of this term, criticized loans? Did you read this article yesterday? No. Where was that? I have well, to it's read a, it. It's a Tim, Tim Mullaney from uh, CNBC. He writes some good stuff. But they, yeah. they, they, what they said the, the thing that are... That, the things that's the anvil that's hanging over the head of the banks is not that their their profits are down so much, but they they're looking at their loans. You know, say in Chicago here, I mean, I don't I, I don't know. Say the Board of Trade building, for instance. I think it's already in foreclosure, but 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 what if it wasn't? And somehow, Kenny Kenny Perry Bank has a loan on the Board of Trade building, and you're watching their occupancy go from ninety to eighty to seventy to sixty, and so far, you're still getting the check. But right. obviously, you're sitting there going, one of these months, this check's not going to show up. Right. And, and I think that's what they, they call they, that's what the name for that is criticized loans. Loans to borrowers who are making payments but might be shaky down the road uh, are rising again now. They, they said that those people were in 2022 were actually doing better now this year than that. And yeah, but that's not necessarily, that may be a new term, but that's not necessarily a new concept. Oh, right? no, God, no, no. But what they're saying is you, you, that you can't just wait for people to, if you look at, the condition your borrowers are in it's yeah. degrading even though this week your bank earnings might be pretty good because so far the yeah. checks haven't stopped yeah yeah no agreed I also think you have to think when they talk about when they're raising all this concern over the commercial real estate market that's a br- they're painting that with a broad brush commercial real estate defines that whole industry I think what you really have to be concerned about is the subsector within commercial real estate which is really office building right I think that's where uh, the, the, the trouble is going to be I don't think it's going to be across broadly the whole commercial real estate sector. Now, I could be wrong. If the economy really goes off the edge, then, yeah, it, it could. it's going to affect all of them. But I think the ones that you have to initially be concerned about is really the, the, the office space stuff in the big cities because I think that's where you're going to run into problems. Well, you, you, I mean, here you, you can drive by strip malls with, not, like, not one, not one store in there. 
Yeah, I, yeah, you know, I suppose that's true because there are parts of there are parts of even down here in Florida, you can drive by strip malls and see two or three empty buildings. In New York City, the the, the empty buildings and not just office. I'm talking retail stuff in New York City yeah. is block out block of just empty storefronts. It's unbelievable. Well, I mean, when you and I, I mean, if you have, and I think our, our listeners are up on this, the result of COVID was going to be that an awful lot of places went out of business, which did, yeah. and the, the people that were left, given the fact what the Fed was doing on top of it, that yeah. three years down the road, you're going to see less places with a lot higher prices, and da-da, there we are, you know, ta-da. Yeah, well, I mean, that's yeah, exactly- but, I, yes, but I'll tell you something else, you know, they've replaced that with all the service stuff. So it's DoorDash, it's Instacart, it's, you know, Amazon, right? I hardly ever go shopping for, you know, basic stuff anymore. I'm either calling Instacart, just let somebody bring it to my door. I'm calling Amazon, let it get delivered to the door because it's just easier, right? It's easier for me. It saves me time. It saves my family time. It saves people time. So some of those jobs that we lost have been replaced by these service sector jobs. Uh, these young, you know, these young kids. Well, actually, it's, it's a range of people because I've seen, you know, older people being DoorDash delivery people and Instacart people as well as younger people. Um, and it's funny. I was taking an Uber the other day, uh, and the and the young man driving the Uber, he had his Uber app, his Lyft app, and his Instacart app on his phone. And he said to me, "This is my life. This is what I do. I do all these three services, and I pick and choose as depending on where I am and what the opportunity is, where I'm going." And and I said, "And where do you live?" He goes, "I live in Stewart, Florida." He goes, "And I'm married with three kids." And he's supporting a ma- his wife, three kids, and a home in Stewart, Florida by doing all these different services. It was really it was eye opening to me. Well, I think some guys can. I think uh, you know, a cab driver in New York used to be a real job too, right? Agreed. Agreed, but this is this is different from being a cab driver because not only he's providing a service, and the other thing he's building, by the way, he said to me, is because he was a very personable young man. But he starts talking to you, you feel comfortable with him. He gives you his card when you get out of the car because he wants you to call him direct. The next time I need a car to go to the airport, he wants me to call him directly. Don't call Uber, call me directly because then he gets paid a hundred percent of the money that he that I pay him versus so 50%. He's, so he's a he, now you know the word for that. He's a jitney cab on top of it. But, uh, yeah, I hear you, but he, <laughs> right. But what's happening? It's causing people to have to come up with alternative ways to make a living and, and, and support their families. And this guy was—I mean, you know—he was a young—he was a young kid, probably I don't know, mid thirties. But he uh, very—you know—he was—he was—he—it was like he didn't want to work. He was—he was working so much. I was so impressed. Well, yeah, I—I I, I know a couple guys that I—I I see on weekends that work at the you know like the Myers or something that. They yeah. tell me all about their their second job, and there's days these guys are putting in sixteen hours, and it's yeah, absolutely. I, mean, it's a, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think that's all that healthy, to be honest with you. But it's a, well, I, I agree. But at thirty years old, you know, it might be a little bit healthier than doing it at sixty. Yeah, but uh, you know, I'm just not sure how he has time to have a family if he's working. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. I mean, I, you know, I, cause he's essentially operating a cab without a license on top of everything. I mean, I, by the way, my my hat's off to him, and I wouldn't I wouldn't hesitate to call him, but. I mean, right, he's, he's operating a cab without a license, basically, and in addition to being a Lyft and Uber. I don't know here if they let you do both, but there, there's guys that are cabs here, I think, that are sneaky Uber guys, too. Yeah. I think you can, yeah. you can sort of do both. He's but not, He's I, not the first Uber driver to say to me, here's my card if you ever need you oh, know, yeah. a ride. They're all doing it. I get it. Um, uh, but it was just, you know, he was very resourceful, this, this young man. The, the question is, if you were somebody in Chicago that paid – you know, 150 grand for a cab license, and all of a sudden, yep. all of a sudden, you're uh, 
uh, Mayor Emanuel and his brother was a big investor in Uber, and all of a sudden he just basically dissolved said, okay, anybody can be an Uber guy. You don't have to be a cab guy anymore. Man, right. I'll tell you what, I'd be pretty pissed off if I was a cab guy. Well, listen, that's what happened in New York City, right? Cab medallions were... were were actually something very proud to have and own, and then suddenly Uber came in and destroyed the value. I still think, though, in New York, I haven't been there in a while, that the, the, being able to walk out any door, put your hand up, and have a guy pull up, is uh, that's better than you Uber. You be able to do that. You still can't do that yet. You know, I agree with you. That was yeah. one of the great things about New York. Absolutely. Just raise your hand, and boom, there were three cabs that were sitting there ready to pick you up. Today, not so easy. Because the yellow cabs, they're starting to come back, but they're not nearly back at the at the rate that they were prior to COVID. Which is an interesting question. Should we get a little, you know, we'll, we'll make Maddie Weber do this. He needs he needs some work. We'll make Maddie get a, a group together. What do, you, what do you want to call it, Maddie? Why don't we go buy like three or four cabin medallions here in the city? You're down to like 15 grand. <laughs> you know, I bet we can make money on them at that, at that level. Especially with the convention yeah. coming here, if it comes here. <laughs> so, you know, you don't want to, the cash money, cash money, Kenny, and even a guy like you, like a little, little cash back pocket, a little something, something, what your beak. That's assuming that cash money is still going to be what we use, right? This big push on, you know, the Federal Reserve digital currency because then they want to be able to get rid, they get rid of cash and then they can watch every single thing you if, do. If young, pe- you- if young people are stupid enough to let that happen. I hear you. If you know, if you miss one tax payment, they freeze your account. I mean, it's a think about all the potential possibilities that a, you know, digital currency controlled by the Fed or the government could have on your life, my life, whatever. Right? Um, if, if you and I bet ten bucks on the Bucks game tonight, nobody has to know about it, Kenny. Really? <laughs> so what are we? What are we gonna do instead? If uh, if 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 I win. You come over and wash my kitchen floor. If, if you would, I come over and wash yours. Yeah. Is that, is that what we're going to be down to? Right. Or wash your car or something? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, that's what we're going to do, right? I mean, if, right. If, if I win, you got to you got to take my car up to the car wash and run it through on your digital currency. And if, if, if you win, I got to do the same thing for you. Yeah. It's I mean, unbelievable. I'll, I'll, so what? Uh, where do you? We've got this earnings season. Are you a little bit? Are you concerned? I, I am concerned, but I have been, right? I do think the market's going to back up. I'm not concerned that it's falling out of bed, but, uh, you know, I do think that the path of least resistance is lower, especially in a Fed uncertain environment. Look, we may get some more clarity on that next week. Once the Fed comes out next Wednesday and says, okay, here's what we did in May, and then here's what it looks like, because right now there's a lot of speculation. Is it, are we pausing in May? Are we rising in May and then pausing? Are we rising now in May and June? Yesterday, they were talking about three more rate hikes, May, June, and July. Well, what do you so, make of the last few days being so dead worldwide, except for Point Hang Sang, which was up and down? very complacent, and that makes me very nervous because that could be the contraindicator, right? Because the VIX is trading at its low. The market's not doing anything. You get one negative headline, and boom, you could see the bottom fall out because I think that's what's going to happen versus you're going to get a positive headline that's going to see the market take off. I think I think the next move is lower, but I don't think it's lower where you have to panic, but I think you should be ready and waiting with your shopping list because I think there'll be some great opportunities. What do you think of uh, a lot of people, we've, we've, we've pushed gold up to 2000 here. Does it, does, it, does it have any more gas or is that it? I think gold, as long as the Fed, it's going to, again, it's going to depend on the Fed. If the Fed continues to suggest they're going to raise rates, gold will pull back because the dollar will strengthen on higher rates and that'll be bad for gold. If if the Fed pauses, if they raise one more time and then suggest they're going to hold it there and pause, then I think gold has a chance to stabilize again. I still like gold. I think gold is going to 2100 by the end of the year. I mean, I thought we were going to get there two weeks ago when it was trading at 2063. Yeah. But it is backed off again. What, do you, make actually- of, what do you make of the uh, 
Um, I, and this is something I got, well, I got a lot of people involved in this, so I'm asking you the question instead of me asking myself in the mirror. Why do you suppose the gold miners have they're, they're lagging gold itself kind of historically? I mean, last last two times gold got to two thousand, the gold miners was like forty, and now it's thirty three fifty. Yeah, I know. I hear you, and that's confusing because I like Newmont Mines. I think Newmont is a great stock to own, uh, but I'm surprised it's not keeping up. So I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, why it's not keeping up? I think maybe there's just some concern that you know gold is that gold is going to turn around and, and move south versus moving north would be the only logical explanation I could I could come Kenny, up with. When, why. I, when I was on the trading floor and people traded Newmont and a couple other places, it was Barrick Gold. And yeah, there used to be a way where those companies used to tell people. How much they hedged? Did they stop doing that, or I just can't find it anymore? Uh, I don't know because I never traded that. So you would know better than me. But I don't know the answer to that question. Because I mean, that, that would that would be a reason. Sometimes you'd see gold running up, and you'd say, you know, what's wrong with Newmont? And uh, you know, John always used to follow that Dr. J when he worked for me way back in the day. He'd, he'd yeah. say, Chief, they they they, they hedged, you know, ninety percent of their stuff for the next six months. They're not going to make any money on it. That that stuff used to be published. I, I don't know if it is anymore. And then all of a sudden, the six months would be over, and then then you'd see the stock pop up. And but you had to be, you had to be careful of what they had hedged. And but they used to tell you. I don't. I don't know if they do anymore. I, whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. You would know better. You guys would know better than me because I never traded that stuff. So I do. I do not know whether or not they still publish it. I would imagine they'd have to publish it now. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a big I'm hunk of gold in a bank somewhere? We get to tra- we, we trade our own stuff. Would be very nice. Kenny, <laughs> <laughs> have a good week, buddy. When are you coming up here? I miss you. I don't know when I'm coming up. I do want to make a, tro- a, a plan to come to Chicago uh, and, sit, and sit with you in studio and have this conversation. I will tell you this: I'm not here next week, so I got to call Maddie and tell him to take me off the schedule for next week. I'll be uh, I'll be out of the country. Well, Maddie, you just talked to him, so I think he probably oh, can remember. Maddie, he's, he's here. Here. <laughs> but you know what? You know what I want to do? And I have a couple of clients. They want to, they want to meet you in New York and uh, and, and see the New York well, Stock Exchange. Okay, so good. We'll do so that. Then the- going to be in new york i'm going to give you a heads up in plenty of time to say here's where i'm going to be and then let's make the let's make the date okay but it'll be fun all right let's be futures okay. down 18 as if he's down 53 be right back professor helsner are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause painkillers muscle relaxants and anti-inflammatories are not the answer at Cairo Med, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give Cairo Med a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at Cairo Med, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give Cairo Med a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. 
You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Load up, Stacks and Jacks. Time to mile. Now, we're on the board. SP Futures down 17 now. NASDAQ Futures down 46. Come back a little bit. Uh, we got uh, the stocks that had earnings. UPS down 8, 885. Was down 930 a minute ago. So it's come back a little bit. Uh, the straddle, I think, was 910 bucks. So it's kind of right, right at that number. McDonald's is up two bucks, 295.33. So those are two of the. And, and the other one is this FRC, this bank that's down uh, 349 to 1249. But the straddle was like. 420 on a bank that's $15. I've never seen anything like that, but uh, there's a reason for it. It's down 350 um, Professor, how are you? Good morning. How are you doing? All right. Hey, uh, I should have uh, done something nice and like signaled you that I thought I may want to talk on this topic. If not, we'll, we'll leave it to next week, but um, we talked a little bit yesterday around about this, uh, and Maddie, I don't know if you kept up on this at all, the, this big legal suit with the uh, on a class, well, I don't know if it's a class action. I think it is uh, against the, these big universities in regards to um, essentially joining together their uh, financial aid and raising and ended up raising raising tuition over a long period of time and a collusion and blah blah blah. And I actually, talk about the Clayton Act or uh, the Sherman Act, which I thought everybody had forgotten. I don't know why, but are you up on any of this stuff? Can you uh, give us any kind of perspective from the university side? Oh, I can't, but it, it doesn't really surprise me. I, th- I think you see it in college athletics. I mean, even though Tennessee is – Yeah, yeah, I know, but yeah, I, I understand that. But uh, the collusion doesn't surprise me at all. If, if it did happen, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, we see uh, collusion in, in college athletics um, within the NCAA. Um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised by it at all. I mean um, – I mean, if I were elite university, I needed to pay for these high-priced salaries of a lot of these professors. I might 
resort to that too. I guess I don't know, but what is it? it, is it the, doesn't surprise me at all. I but I don't. I'm thinking that the overhead has grown, and not the professor's salaries over the last 25. They've, they've grown, but not to the not to the point where they justify the tuition. Yeah, the, the administrations of these universities, have, there, there's an incredible amount of administration bloat, too. So, I mean, I think in the 1950s, the majority of people that worked in a university were probably just professors. And yeah, the, administ- yeah. the administration was really tiny. But I think with all these um, government edicts with respect to the NCA and financial aid and diversity, the, the administration of these universities just grown dramatically. Well, I, I, I looked um, once, think, maybe, was it like five years ago, Maddie? I did a little bit of a study on the the, the colleges in uh, California. But there's how many? How many of them are in the in the California group? There's Berkeley, there's UCLA, there's uh, Santa Barbara. There's like there's like is it seven or eight that are part of the the, the university system in in uh, California? It's a uh, well, they also got the California State University system too. Right, I'm talking about the 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 ones that yeah. are affiliated with with Berkeley, the ones that are yeah that they're I think there's yeah I think there's, there's seven. UC Irvine, UC yeah. San Diego, yeah, yeah there's, there's I think there's like seven. And didn't uh, what's her name? There were two. Oh God, this is gonna sound awful. Two uh, shall we say vertically challenged ladies that were in the Clinton administration. One went out to be the president of the California group. One was uh was it Napolitano, and the other one was Shalala. Napolitano. Yeah. And, the, and the other one went to become uh, head of University of Miami, right? They, they both got university prof- uh, president's jobs. One went, to, but when she went out there, I was kind of following it. There, they had a, and this is you know this is five years ago. I'm sure nothing's changed. They had a, a place in Oakland. They had an administration building that was you know how many miles from any school. They had like 300 people working there. But I, I think I went through it you now, and they had for every quote professor, they had. Ten other people. It was like ten to one, indirect versus direct, as we used to call it in the factory yeah. floor. And yeah, I, there's all kinds of compliance officers that. Yeah, I mean, you have to comply with this regulation, that regulation, federal and CAA. So it isn't surprising. But how do you? How do you? My, uh, <laughs> of course, this was you know you're never gonna never gonna have this again. But uh, when I was going to St. John Fisher Grammar School, uh, you know, a couple of the. You know, a lot of the teachers that were the lay teachers had kids in the school. They walked home for lunch with their kids and came back, so didn't have to have a car or that kind of stuff. Uh, but we had we, it was a, it was a prolific Irish neighborhood, shall we say? We had four four classes of forty kids for every grade. So we had you know 160 kids a grade, but there were four teachers. Uh, we had two janitors in the place. We had a music teacher. We had a principal, and we had an assistant for the principal. And if, one, if somebody was sick, the principal came and taught that class. Yeah. So we essentially had, what, 8 times 4 is 32 plus 2 kindergarten. We had 34 direct employees, and I'm going to say 5 indirect, as opposed to, you know, 30 direct and 300 <laughs> indirect. I mean, it's not yeah. even the same world. It, well, my, my elementary school is even uh, more interesting. We went to, I went to four classroom elementary in Bruno, Idaho. I think the town was 150 back then, but I was always in a class with my brother Rod or my brother Ryan because they only had four teachers in four classrooms. They had six grades, no no kindergarten. We had two lunch ladies and uh, the principal was the sixth grade teacher. So there was absolutely, there was no administrators at my elementary school. 
None. Well, they wouldn't. They wouldn't let you unless your 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 you know your dad had croaked and your mom had to work. You couldn't get yeah. permission to eat lunch in the school, and there may maybe. 25 kids had lunch in the school out of 16. Well, I'll tell you, yeah. you didn't want to eat lunch in our lunchroom. We had things like cottage cheese on apricots oh, for God. dessert. <laughs> I like most food. I can't handle apricots. I never liked that. Miss Nye, my brother Rod's fourth grade teacher, made him eat the cottage cheese on apricots. Oh, God. She made him eat it, and he ended up uh, barfing on the table. Oh, God. <laughs> the apricots might do that, actually, but no, but you either, I mean, if you, you you had to bring your lunch. There was nothing there. They had some milk that came in. But, but I mean, if you, if my mom was gone for a day, you know, you, you went to lunch at one of your buddies. And if that mom was gone, he came to your place. I mean, that, that, that's what happened. I mean, uh, yeah. but I'm not saying, we, you know, we want, we want to go back to that. But my point is there's only so much overhead you can you can roll here. I mean, it, we were talking about it yesterday. The, uh, you know, Audrey comes down to one of our reunions at Notre Dame. and and, you know, and we lived in a in a dorm with you know they were basically army cots that they got from the navy or, or somebody during World War Two, you know army surplus blankets. The can is down the hall, and you know you sink in a room, but it, but it was fine, you know. But it was also a thousand bucks a year. Well, now room and board at Northwestern's what, maybe seventeen or some some massive number. You know, like an Audrey says, you don't pay seventeen grand and, and, and have army surplus blanket in a in a pillow the size of a of a towel. <laughs> By the way, you want your you want you want your own bathroom and you want better food. So I don't know which comes first. Uh, you know that you can't charge somebody seventeen grand and live like we lived. But then by the same token, we were fine. You know, I mean, it, you know, uh, the bed wasn't quite long enough for me, but I made do somehow. Um, you know, <laughs> bed was six. Well, that's foot, how I was, was, that's how was in the navy. I mean, the the beds were only like I don't know six foot two, six foot three, and I had friends who were six four, six five, and they. I think they have back problems this day because oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you were in the this three high bunk, right? That's three high bunk, and there were walls, right, up the the head and the foot of the bed. And so when you slept in there, you had to sleep like you were in the in a fetal position if you're six five. Well, I was. I did. The, I toured the uh, battleship New Jersey last time I was in Philadelphia. What a, if anybody's there? Take the water taxi across the river and, and, and go see it. It, it. it is really something. The 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 front, what's the front, the bow, right underneath, you know, that's the part that's going up and down more than the rest of the ship, right? The front the front room had to have 25 bunks in it. I mean, they're, yeah. they looked like drawers, you know, but I mean, yeah. they're like three high. Plus, you had to be, like, skinny to get into one of the damn things, but I can't imagine that thing, if there's any kind of a storm, you're going up and down, what do you do, strap yourself in? You, I mean, it, then you have, what, one drawer for all your stuff? Well, the worst part of it is where the light is. And my first month on the ship, I kept banging my head in the dang light that was right up, that was four inches from my face. I'd have a nightmare, and I'd wake up and I'd bang my head into this fluorescent light that had a <laughs> bulb funny. in it that was like a foot and a half long, and it was right where my head was. So that was the <laughs> case you wanted to read. I mean, there was no, because there's only no place for you when you weren't on duty other than in your bunk, right? Well, there was a little table underneath the TV. And I don't, you know, the the ship that you're talking about didn't have that, but we had a TV in every birthing compartment. And when I was uh, in uh, MDIV, mechanical division, the mechanical operators, there were probably uh, 50 people in a room the size of a uh, small office space. I mean, maybe maybe 30 feet wide and 20 feet deep. 
there were about 50 people sleeping in there. Three high racks. I, I like the top bunk because um, I was taller, and uh, if I was in one of those little, if I was on the middle bunk or the bottom bunk, man, it would have it would have felt like a, a shoebox. But because I was on the top bunk, there was no roof to my what we called our pit. All right. Our bed, our beds were called pits, so there's no roof to it. Well, how far up the chain there. do you have to go to get like a decent bedroom? Like, is it an ensign or a? I mean, I oh, the officers, they're, they're uh, they have staterooms, and there's two people to a room. And they essentially have uh, what I would call probably a full bed, and they're, they're bunk beds. But there's there's only two of them in a stateroom, and each one has their own desk. They have a much larger closet, and they're above water. All the sailors are below water. Well, they gotta have a closet because they gotta wear all those dress whites and stuff all over. Yeah. Who cleans all that stuff for you? Is there, is there a clean? Well, well, here here's the worst part. The worst part is when you're in port and you're on a nuclear watch. Uh, team, and you have port and starboard duty, and you want, and everybody is on leave, so you have a very small skeleton crew. And when you're on duty on a Friday, you stand five or three five-hour watches. And when you're not standing three five-hour watches, you're doing maintenance in the plant. And then here's the kicker: on your day off, Saturday morning, you get on on the uh, flight deck, the helicopter flight deck, for quarters. And because your birthing compartments aren't clean, they tell you have to stay and field day the floors. And you know what we did? This is literally what we did on Saturday mornings. We watched cartoons. We pulled the equipment out, set it out, and when somebody said the inspector's coming through, he'd walk through. We'd have it all set up like we're working. We didn't do anything. We didn't <laughs> We didn't strip the floor. We didn't do anything. We, we All we did is sweep. But we had all the equipment out. We had the bucket out. And when he left, we would... Uh, watch the cartoons until 10. You could have been and then they come through and inspect us, and they'd go, oh, you guys look good. We didn't do anything to the floor. Nothing. You guys could have been janitors at public schools. <laughs> <laughs> and then, on Sunday, you had a report for quarters at 7 a.m. for your duty day, because we had duty days every other day. And then during the week, we had our normal eight-hour work day. Well, how, how often, how many days per month were you guys at sea versus in dock? Well, uh, we were on a little cruise ship that was nuclear-powered, which meant it never needed to be refueled. So whenever there was an open slot to join a carrier group, our CEO would volunteer us. So I think in a year and a half, I was in Bremerton, maybe two years. I think we are in port like maybe a total of 40 days. We were always underway. We were volunteering for every little war game, um, every little drug op in Mexico, uh, was this a full size? This a full size cruiser, though, right? It was uh, 500 feet long with about 500 people on it. What's it, what size guns? Uh, I had a four inch gun. Oh, so now you didn't have like was like a World War II cruiser that had a 10 inch gun or 11 or something like that? No, no, no. It was a pretty small ship. It was one of the smaller ones, but it had unlimited fuel. The only problem with it, the the reactor had had been refueled in like I don't know 10 years, so we couldn't do a flank bell. I was telling you last week we did zigzags all the way to um, Australia because we could do 15, I think we could do like a third head and then slowly close the uh, the valve, the steam throttle, and then kind of do a back, a backing one-third bell. That's about it. That's all we could do. We, we couldn't do a flank. So what, if you did, it was going to blow up or what? It would uh, shut down. Oh, right. There'd be so much xenon. The, the reactor was so old that if you did a 
if you did a, a flank bell and then you didn't all stop, you could actually build up xenon enough xenon in the reactor to shut it down. In the middle of the ocean, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> God. All right. So now, if if what I said gets me in trouble, you might not see me next Tuesday. Oh God, are they going to come get you? <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I mean, it's like thirty years ago, so I doubt I, I doubt they will. Professor, <laughs> Professor Snar. Uh, hey, what? Uh, two things that I want to discuss. Uh, one is we kind of touched on it last week. Is I'm seeing all these articles now about. Uh, uh, well, the banks that are now worrying about their clients, and that's one of the problems with the banking industry. They, they, the term was uh, what criticized loans or something. Also, the, uh, uh, the the big solution, I think, to a lot of the problems we're talking about, be it in Chicago and bad neighborhoods, good neighborhoods, it's uh, GDP, it's but it's uh, budget deficits. Is we, we need some, we need some real growth and. You know how do you how do you get that bus started, and also uh, all the stuff about people worldwide are essentially looking for alternatives to the dollar because our dollar has not been a a source of uh, wealth. I mean, you, if you have it, it doesn't it it doesn't keep its its value. And uh, are we going to change that? Or are we going to keep not worrying about what other people think about it, and yet we still think it's going to be the dominant currency because the other guys are worse? I mean. Which one of these topics? They're all kind of big, heavy ones. Which one do you want to tackle first? I mean, how 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 do you start to grow really instead of just you know pouring money in the system and counting it as uh, inflation? Is I mean, right now you go to McDonald's and get the earnings this morning. I go in once in a while, you know. I mean, once in a great while, you know, every few weeks I say great while. I seem to recall a few years ago before COVID. I think then wasn't coffee a buck, and uh, you could get you know two English muffins for the whatever the things are for like three or four bucks well now it's coffee's like 280 it's for you know a couple of those little sandwiches for breakfast even though one of them is a dollar and a coffee it's 950 I mean it's got to be 40 yeah. percent higher than it was three years ago I mean it's not even close well, well things are upside down when you consider subway to be cheaper than McDonald's yeah. if we go to McDonald's as a family we're spending probably uh forty dollars if I get Four, or if I get three foot long sandwiches and I, you know they're cut in half, every one of my kids gets a balanced diet, a balanced meal. I mean, we, we, we put on the green peppers, tomatoes, onions, lettuce, banana peppers. Kid, my kids love that stuff. Yeah, but we get we get three uh, subway sandwiches for like uh, what thirty bucks, and our kids can't eat it all. So, I mean, it's really bad when McDonald's is more expensive. Than Subway, so it's gotten bad. And if you look at consumer loans, credit cards, and other revolving uh, credit plans, I mean, just look at the chart from like 2000 today. The Fed really induced all kinds of overconsumption. And if you look at uh, commercial lending, um, it, it's obvious how much malinvestment is created. So all this, the economy from 2010. In my opinion, it's just it's, it's it's actually fake. It's all inflation, and if it's all inflation, we've had like we said last week, no growth. Uh, I mean, it, it's unreal. It looks like a I don't know if you know what rim rocks are, but if you go to Idaho or Eastern Washington or Eastern Oregon, maybe not Eastern Washington, but in Idaho, you'll see rim rocks. 
I, I went to a high school named Rimrock High School. Well, Rimrock Junior Senior High School. I went to junior high school there. But you have Rimrocks there. And if you look at this chart of credit cards and other revolving plans, it looks like a Rimrock, where the Fed just elevated uh, that kind of debt vertically, just lifted it up from 2010 to 2020. And then it came down a little bit after the pandemic started. But man, the trajectory that it's on now uh, looks like Elon Musk rocket ship. Well, if it's, you, uh, it's almost vertical. If you want to uh, put an exclamation point on what you're saying as being accurate, and I'll add a couple of little studies I did myself. Uh, you talk about 2000. Well, money supply in 2000 was $4.7 trillion, Now it's 21 Yeah, yeah. So it's up like factor of four and a half uh, get a load of this and I don't really boy you have to explain to me how this currency and credit derivatives in 2000 were 90 trillion now they're 650 yeah Who well the rich get the rich benefit the investor class the, the people who can buy on margin well, they can uh, make leverage purchases. They're the ones that benefit from that. But the median home in uh, 2000 was 163,000. Now it's 449. And I, I did some work on uh, uh, college tuition, and that's up three times since 2000. Yeah. And I'm going to say that I did, I, I did, uh, I, I was sloppy, uh, Hal, because I, I couldn't really get at the real numbers. They kind of hide them pretty. Well, I mean, somebody could probably get them, but I couldn't. I was trying to figure out how much medical care was, and I just. I had to fall back into how much a firm like PTI has had to pay per person. In 2000, until 2020s when I did it, uh, it was up almost 3%. Matter of fact, uh, housing, was it uh, insurance, uh, tuition and colleges, and the other one was in uh, local taxes because I, I figured local taxes are what, like usually 50 to 55% for the school. So I, I use those as a as a barometer for, yep. uh, uh, and it was almost the same number. It's almost three times when the CPI, yeah. the CPI said it should be 0.56, but the most yeah. the most cartelized, uh, regulated, or owned or managed industries are like that. Yeah, every other every other industry that's relatively free of government regulation that cartelizes the industry, or relatively free of government regulation where the regulations are minimal. Or where there's no ownership, all you see is lower prices and higher quality. But in these cartelized industries, you get that. That's what that's what the the purpose is for, right? That that's the purpose of these things is to create a, a monopoly pricing power and to create scarcity and drive prices back up demand curves. Well, why do, that's why, what that does. Why do uh, I think I, Manny? I think you were here. I I did this like six months ago, but now I forget what the hell the number was. Uh, I, somehow, I, I, I was maybe one of the listeners sent me some stuff about that a, a current hospital stay one night in Chicago is like 11 grand, and 10 years ago it was like two. It's, it's not well, think about, the yeah. size of the, think about the size of the population. We went from, uh, what, 300 million to probably 330 to 340 million? Yeah. yeah. And what happened to the number of hospital beds? Nothing. Because yeah. in these states... A hospital, an incumbent hospital, can use the con law, convenience to need law, and issue a competitor's veto on an entrepreneur wanting to tap into those incredible margins. Well, you're, and you're never going to get it. Hospital experience. The, the weird part, and that's what kind of the, what I wanted to drive it to, and we'll talk about this after break, is the idea of uh, us being profit driven. 
and yet, um, actually, Eric uh, brought up the uh, the concept years ago when he was on the show of the uh, the managerial class. And I, I don't, I don't think. And again, we'll talk about this more after the break. I don't think that the that profit is the classical term for the for the word profit is not no longer the motivator for an awful lot of I would say I won't say businesses in our economy, but units in our economy. I mean, they're clearly not the the. Uh, I don't think they are. I don't. I don't think it's the motivator. Say at Notre Dame. Yet the amount of cash that people are siphoning off on all levels, or the University of Illinois—I mean, God—the trustees and the people on the boards and the people—the there, there's there's shall we say there's there's a difference between the tuition and the I use the term direct expenses like we used to say at Pullman. If ever if ever in a cost accounting, whenever you if you uh, you price out a railroad car or a building or whatever it is, you know, what you used to do is say, okay, it's going to take. 3,000 hours per railroad car and that's you know 20 bucks an hour and oh by the way our overhead rate is 150 so we'll add another 30 for like all the other people that, that are they're involved in this engineers accountants guys who swept the floor uh, guys who watch TV cartoons that are supposed to be sleeping the floor guys like you uh, the, uh, but I mean but what do you think the overhead rate now the overheads the profit I mean nobody cares if Northwestern University has a shareholder that gets a dividend, but it, the money never gets out of the place either. I mean, it, it just gets sucked up by the managerial group. I mean, if you were to look at, I think, the top 300 salaries at Commonwealth Edison versus the same job in, other, in, a, in a more competitive industry, you'd probably find those people are making twice as much or 50% more or something. But it, it's, not, it's not profit in the sense that you can buy shares in Northwestern or Notre Dame or or and have that have that drop to you. Nobody cares about you. It's almost like it doesn't matter if it's a company or a. I use the term not profit or not for profit. It, it, what has it done to the theory? Well, after break, what has it done when you give a class and profit is no profit is no longer the 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 driving force. I mean, because uh, they seem to be able to get money from people everywhere. Whether it's free money, whether it's uh, you know indulgences, or somebody had a was a crook his whole life and decides he's going to go to heaven so he's give Notre Dame 30 million bucks or something. I mean, it's a, the, the motivations are such different than what I learned in class and what you teach, and yet it's becoming yeah. bigger and bigger pieces of the economy. So let's go to break. When we come back, you can kind of explain all this, how all this works and how, how you're teaching about this because it's not just, you know, a monopoly, assume a monopoly, assume perfect competition, assume an oligopoly. There's like all kinds of other new slots here. SP Futures down 16, the Futures down 44. I've come back a little bit. Uh, be right back. Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits 
food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Welcome back, Stacey Jackson. I'm Tamal Matt Weber. The board, SP Futures down 18. The SP Futures down 50. Well, we were down before the earnings came out, so I don't think that's been a big issue. 3M is up a buck 20. They had earnings. We have McDonald's. These are in the Dow. Up 255. They had earnings. Uh, FRC, uh, the uh, the bank, uh, they're down 342. Straddle was over 4 bucks, though, so that was kind of an expected move. We got UPS down 885. That's almost 5%. I actually thought that might go up because the last, uh, last time they came out with earnings, it went up quite a bit. Not, not this time. Um, over in Asia, we have the Nikkei up 26, call that flat, and the Hang Seng down 342, 1.7%, 19,617 to 120,000. Shanghai down 10, it's 0.3%. Over in Europe, uh, not, not, not very busy at all. The DAX up 2, call that uh, flat, the FTSE down 10.1%. Check around down a little bit, 0.41. They've got uh, their bank, the banks over there are down an average of almost 1.8%, so Got some bank issues over there as well. Yesterday was slow day. Dow up 66, S&P up three, Nasdaq down 35. So very mixed to nothing bag. Uh, bonds 10-year rate down seven basis points, 3.43 here. The bond down three, 2.45. Japan up one to 0.49. We got oil still under 80 bucks, uh, down 57 cents, 78.19. Brent down 58 cents, 82.15. Natural gas down nine cents, 2.18. Our Bob unchanged 262. We've got gold uh, down 570, uh, under 2,000, 1994, but kind of right there. Silver with a big move though, down 2.2%, down 57 cents, 
24.74. A lot of people think silver's going to is the one to buy here, not gold, but we'll see. Not not today. Copper down nine cents. There's another two and a half percent move. Three point eight five. So those are more manufacturing type uh, metals. Copper for sure, and silver kind of half and half. But having those go down like that is not is not what you call a, a big boom for for uh, business. Uh, Bitcoin down twelve bucks, twenty seven thousand three sixty three, and the U.S. dollar is actually up today. Which it's been down for a while, but still the pound. Uh, is 1.24 and the euro is 1.10. Uh, Matty, we have for us Trevi Weather Sports. 35 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. Traffic starting to build steadily, especially if you're coming inbound on the Kennedy due to the road construction. Uh, no surprise there, but no accidents to report uh, on the Kennedy. Same for the Edens Expressway. Um, traffic building on the Eisenhower and Stevenson, but no accidents to report. Same for the Ryan I-57 and the Bishop Fort. So we're seeing normal traffic volumes for a Tuesday morning, but no accidents, so nothing worse than normal. Uh, but we do have some rainy conditions. Out in the western suburbs, looks like uh, there is a, a couple of crashes to report. Or, well, maybe not. Actually, yeah, there's one. Roosevelt Road, which is Route 38 at Crest Road out in uh, the Aurora area. There's an accident, but that's the only accident on the screen right now. So everyone's behaving themselves. Weather today, clouds and rain on and off throughout the day. A cold temperatures, about 18 degrees below normal, as we'll reach a high of just 44 rainy degrees. Right now it's overcast and 42 degrees downtown. Here it comes home. Cubs are home tonight against the Padres, Ugh. weather permitting. Uh, for our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 90 today. Right now it's clear and 89. In sports, Sox lost to the Blue Jays 5-2. Cubs are off. They'll host the Padres tonight, 640 Chicago time first pitch. Diamondbacks beat the Royals 5-4. Chief. What, uh, with the, um, give me a second here, Hal, what, this new schedule where you're playing everybody now, right? So the, the Cubs have already done with the Dodgers. Correct. They played them seven times, and, uh, yeah, I think they're done with them. So last Sunday, it was kind of a miserable day, but it wasn't as bad as today, I don't think. But how bad would it have had to get for them to cancel that game with them never coming back here again? I mean, it, Yeah, I mean, they, they're they going to try everything they can to get that game in. I mean, tonight, Otherwise, they've got to find a mutual off day. And well, tonight, if, if, we're, if they don't play tonight, they've got to play two tomorrow. I mean, there's no... Yeah, they would probably play a doubleheader um, either tomorrow or, or Wednesday. Or, sorry, tomorrow or Thursday. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's no... Not a whole lot of slippage here in any of this stuff, uh, um, Hal. Yeah, Hal. I mean, the only the only real way to have to do anything economically, be it for the people in the neighborhoods that are having some trouble, being the cities having some trouble, being the deficit. The only way to get out of all this mess is to grow out of it. How do, how do you do that when you're? I use the term your nonprofit stuff just keeps sucking the lifeblood out of any kind of investment you might use for real productivity. I mean, I, I, don't, know how well, you, I don't know how you do that. Well, you got to look at industries where you get real growth, where prices come down and quality goes up. And I, I say this over and over and over. Uh, you got to get rid of these regulations that create these cartels. You got you got higher education that's cartelized. You got healthcare that's cartelized. Uh, the banking system is cartelized. Uh, and they're they're only able to cartelize like that. Uh, a cartel fails in a free market because the cartel um, attracts entrepreneurs because it's making an above normal return. So entrepreneurs are attracted to that, and things tip entrepreneurs off, like the owners of businesses driving around in customized Lamborghinis, like the guy 
that was flipping houses in Vegas on TV called Flipping Vegas. He was driving around the neighborhoods with a customized Lamborghini. People see him driving that around, bidding on a distressed property. What are they going to do? They're going to see that customized Lamborghini. They're going to go, hey, in season one, he didn't have any competitors for these distressed properties. But in season four, all of a sudden, he has competition for these distressed properties. Now, I'm sure that guy, if he had political clout, would probably try to lobby if he had uh, you know, billions of dollars to pay off the politicians in their re-election campaigns. I'm sure he would have tried to create a monopoly for himself through regulation. Uh, but he can't do that as an individual person in Las Vegas, right? So what happens is these cartels fail in a market system over time. They may be successful in a year or two run, but over over a long period of time, it seems, it seems like they come in and pull those prices down. I, 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 understand, I understand the theory that you're talking about, or think I do, but I think if you look at some of the industries I'm talking about, it goes exactly the other way. I mean, uh, the amount of independent hospitals in the Chicago area is goes down every year. We're, we're going to end up with like three major groups that maybe Loyola is an outlier. Uh, it's going to be the north. But, that, that, but that's because uh, healthcare is uh, healthcare industry is cartelized by the state. Yeah, well, that's what I'm I saying. mean, yeah. we're, we're talking we're talking about insurance yesterday in my class and. Uh, if we had a truly free market, I should be free to buy health insurance from any company in the world. I should be free to buy it from a company in Cuba. I should be free to buy it from a company in Mexico. Now, well, my students said, well, what if they don't uh, uh, pay out a hospital bill? I go, well, I'll shop around and find somebody that will. I'll uh, do research and find companies that will charge me a reasonable that are great well, the re- at customer the re- service. The reason why you can't buy somebody from somewhere else is because if they're not in Illinois, they don't have this ridiculously negotiated network with the hospitals where they have to pay twice as much as yeah. the people that are here. That they're they're in line. That, go- that goes back to the that yeah. cartelization in in New Jersey. I remember reading before the Amer- the Affordable Care Act in New Jersey, employers had to buy health insurance from New Jersey health insurance companies and their their policies were mandated by mandated by the state to cover everything they could have saved uh, by a factor of six i believe by buying their health insurance out of state in tennessee but they were forced to buy these cover everything well, I, insurance I, policies offered by i think you're, you're you're slightly wrong there uh not not in theory at all because I mean, i'm not giving you a grip about that i'm saying the problem is the tennessee place would would never sell it to you, even if they could, because the price for them an overnight stay in a New York hospital is going to be twice as much as the guy in New York because they got the negotiated deal. Yeah. Well, again, that goes back yeah. to these con laws, right? Right. The the hospital doesn't have to face the competition. The insurance company doesn't have to pay, face the competition. And when they get together and make these agreements, that's polluting. But we and had, the state allows when, it. When when PTI first opened back in ninety one, well, it's been a long time. Uh, we had a, one of our first clients was a terrific guy, kind of a, kind of a character, but you know, a lot of people are. Uh, he was a big developer out in the uh, Phoenix area. And he had come from Columbus, Indiana. He had a couple factories there. I mean, a real an entrepreneurial go get him kind of guy. Very big time energy. He was a uh, prisoner of war. He was a, he was a 
navigator and a liberator, I think, that went down. He spent, I don't know, long in you know, some prisoner of war thing over in wherever the hell it was before, uh, you know, the war was over and the Germans let him out or we rescued him or something. Anyway, he was, and he, he said when he had, uh, he was buying, uh, he was buying insurance in Columbus, Indiana, and, uh, cause he had a big, well, I don't know, big, but he had a factory down there. And he said, what they did was, he said, okay, we they went through all the insurance stuff and they said, we're going to self-insure. Cause most companies, I mean, PTI was never big enough, but if you have a law firm with, uh, you know, 300 people, other than buying a policy for, you know, premature babies or cancer or something, to get a, an over, you know, an over, what do you want to, what do you call those things, an over something policy way over the top of something, a catastrophic policy. Other than that, you, you're better off self-insuring. I mean, there's no reason. If somebody goes to the doctor, you just paid a bill. But the issue there was when he did this, this is in, you know, he was doing this in the 80s, if one of his people had an appendectomy in a hospital in Columbus, Indiana, he was paying the same price as Blue Cross or whoever. Well, that's not the case anymore. Now you're going to pay fifty grand or something. I'm exaggerating. Where Blue Cross pays five grand, so they essentially put companies out of the self-insurance business. Yeah. Uh, well, of course. Yeah. They, they don't want the competition. They don't want the competition because I mean, yeah. if you're a big enough firm. Why, why would why would you why would you not want to? Hey, yeah, we don't call we don't call that collusion between the health insurance. It's not health insurance. It's a healthcare payment right. system, right? So we, we would call in any other industry we would call the collusion between the the cartelized hospital system and the cartelized uh, health insurance industry. We call that collusion. They colluded to do what? To eliminate self insurance. And they use government to do that. The state is the only organization that can ensure a cartel uh, thrives. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. Competi- competitors will come in and disrupt the cartel eventually. Well, my, uh, my I won't say my mentor, but I had him for class a few times. And whenever he spoke, I ran, could find, a, I'd find a, pl- a seat there. Uh, Mil- <laughs> Mil- Milton Freeman. I would have too. I would have loved to have taken classes from Milton. Yeah, well, the, 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 one, the one I did take the one class. God, the class sucked. It was, it was, it was on the theory of price. It was all. Yeah, math. I can imagine. Oh God, it was all math. math. When you come to town, I'll dig out the book. I'll show it to you. It was a manuscript. <laughs> they, they have all these, all these. I, I understand that because my PhD notes were all mathematics. <laughs> but but they had these charts on supply curves, and there'd be a, a chart with like fifteen curves in there, on on the same chart. I mean, what is all this stuff? But anyway, he, but he was a. Uh, but he, his two main examples, uh, when it talks about stuff that should shouldn't be, were the city controlling the amount of cab licenses. That was his his pet peeve, and the other one was that the doctors decided how many med schools there could be, so they could control yeah. the, su- the supply of doctors. Now that that was that was kid stuff compared to what they do now. I mean, there's only going to be one. Oh, firm I know it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean now now there's only going to be one electric company, no matter how big the place gets, that kind of thing. I mean, or, or something like that. Or there's going to be three hospital groups in the whole city of Chicago. I mean, it, I mean that, that 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 the other stuff, the cab driver stuff, you know, pales in comparison to that. But yeah, oh, yeah. You, I mean, you let people control the number of that. I mean, at the, at, and it's that's what ends up happening. You, but I think the biggest issue is that these these hospitals have different price loads. I mean, uh, Audrey has a well, real good friend that she was on uh, drum drum and bugle corps with. Her husband was a. Uh, and we just met. We went to a party. I met him six months ago or a few months ago, you know, because nobody saw anybody during COVID. 
he's still doing good. And, and, and he years ago, years ago, he told me that he was the head of purchasing for uh, probably the biggest hospital in Illinois outside of Chicago. So I'm not going to say the name. This is back before you know Hillary tried her uh, healthcare system, and the idea that the healthcare system wasn't—I'll use the term—bleeped up. I mean, it was all perfect back then. Is such BS because it wasn't. And he, I said, no. I go. Uh, so how do, how do you how do you bill these people? And he goes, well, What do you mean? I said, how does how does it work? He said, Oh, it's all screwed up. <laughs> what do you mean? He said, Well, if somebody has the Cadillac policy, and they come in and you know, say say uh, you know they might have a baby, they might do something, whatever it is, and uh, you charge them full bore, in the, in the Blue Cross in these places. This is before there was these negotiated rates. They'd pay it, and yet that's the kid you'd load up with the. You know the three the three packs of diapers going out the door that were like ten times the price you get at Walgreens. He said you, you load the thing up because those people were paying. Then there's the next group that's that the that the insurance companies that weren't the Cadillac policy that had the negotiated rates. The appendectomy for those people might be two grand versus ten for the other guy. So you charge them the two. Then you had Medicare which had their own stuff. Then you had Medicaid and I and I think he told me that in those days Medicaid paid you like 100 bucks a day for the patient, and it almost didn't matter whether you did brain surgery or, or in a hangnail. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the same number. So, so you had to figure out who you were doing what to, and you, had, and you had to balance all the different people who were paying from all the different groups. And I go, God, that's really bleeped up. <laughs> he goes, yeah, it is. Yeah. And, you know, but that's when Hillary tried to do The idea was it was the, was the key to her system and Obama's, which made some sense, Al, that if, that if everybody was covered with some sort of a base insurance and everybody paid it really was the people that had money essentially insured the other people in the in the hospital which is really screwed up or if you if you you know big muckety muck uh professor if you went in with a you know a broken ankle from playing softball or broken finger they charge you 40 grand and you were essentially insuring the person downstairs who couldn't pay that was that was your job but obviously but economically that that dog doesn't hunt. It doesn't last forever. You, you overcharge some people to pay for the other people. I mean, it, but if you didn't break your ankle, it didn't cost you at all. You didn't help anybody. It was really, it was really weird. So I mean, it, well, that system what happens was with the health insurance premiums is you uh, you kind of set the premium rate, and then for some that premium rate is too high and yeah. they don't insure, and for others they're like, yeah. So who's the person saying yeah? the person that has lots of issues. So what you end up getting is a pool of people who are like, heck yeah, I'm going to pay that premium. And the, and the people that think it's too high, they're saying I'm out. So you have a pool of people that are likely to use healthcare a lot. In uh, Texas, Blue Cross Blue Shield, I read an article about this when I was teaching MBA class at Westminster. Uh, in Blue Cross Blue Shield, if you, if you were a person calling up um, to find out um, about premiums, and your question was, um, what's your lowest price uh, uh, policy, uh, catastrophic po- policy? They enroll you. But if you had thousands of questions for them about doctors and network, um, they didn't want to insure you. Because if you ask all those questions, you're revealing who you are. You're revealing your preferences. You're revealing your uh, your need well, you, for healthcare. You, what you're telling them is you you have every intention of going to the doctor, where the first guy tells you all you the have, time, you know, all the time for everything. First guy tells you, "I'm only going to go to the doctor if I break my leg skiing." Yeah, so the, of course they want to insure him or yeah. her because 
that person's not going to use health care. But the person that's asking all the questions, they don't want to insure that person. But how, because but how does they're going to be using lots of health care. But, but how does this, how does the, 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 the rest of society that needs growth and needs in, industrial growth, I mean, my, my nephew's in the, the, the metals business, they need people. Everybody, everybody needs greater capacity, especially as we're dragging some stuff back from China. There isn't a company around that doesn't need, that, that thought they were all going to be going out of business because everything's going to be going overseas, and all of a sudden at least some of them aren't. And they're looking around going, God, last time we bought a piece of machinery was 1972. This time we bought to upgrade some of this crap or it's going to fall apart. All of a sudden everybody is doing that, and there aren't enough people to service it. Now, whether you would want your kid to go into that business thinking it's going to be lasting more than three or four years and that there's going to be a real need for somebody to, to you know, to manage machines 25 years from now. Yeah, I don't know if you make that bet, but I really, I'm smart enough to know. But the there, there is a need for this kind of growth, different types of education. But how, how can you get the money? I mean, the person who, you know, gets the $100,000 bill from Northwestern, that 100000 is, if, if the number could be twenty. The other 80 is way better off investing in some place to do other stuff where we can actually have people working and have, and have, uh, you know, producing stuff. Because once you do that, then, then there's more stuff. I mean, we should have, you know, 300 people working on the Kennedy Expressway uh, instead of the 50 they got out there. I mean, but we don't. I mean, we're, it seems like I mean, the, the reason I mean, some families shouldn't have to pay Notre Dame seventy five grand a year for something that cost four thousand, you know, forty years ago. It's, it's just too much dough. It's not they're not worth it. The professors aren't making that kind of money. You know that. I mean somehow oh, yeah. but we gotta we have to find a way to get some of this money back in first of all to pay off debts, but secondly to be invested in a way that's the right way. To where all of a sudden we have a new car company, we have a new this, we have a new that. And I Somehow or another, we got to make that happen, Hal, because we need serious growth to be able to balance a budget, to be able to go pay down some debt on a personal and, and, and state level. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it's going to happen. Do you? At this, with the way we're doing this. Well, first, going back to your question before the break about profits, I don't think these big corporations, guys like Elon Musk, are interested in maximizing profits. I think that is of their least concern. I think what the Fed has done with its reckless zero percent interest rates for what almost 20 years <clears throat> since the the financial crisis it was 15 years now it what it's done is created a, this really perverse system where uh, these people that have access to credit they don't buy things um, with cash Elon Musk did not buy Twitter with cash and a lot of people on the right consider Elon Musk the savior of, of speech Honestly, I don't really believe it. I think no. what Elon Musk is going to do, he's going to turn Twitter into a money-making machine. He's not interested in those profits, right? He's going to turn it into a money-making machine. With certain, He's experimenting with how to drive revenue. And he's having a hard time with that because we're slowing down and companies aren't advertising. So he's, he's playing around with different models to create revenues for the platform. And I think once he starts generating revenues uh, with depressed advertising revenues and that stock price goes up say 10% from the point he purchased it I could see him selling it because if he sells a leveraged asset that appreciates uh, 
five percent over the we'll just say over the course of a year. If you uh, sell an asset where the real rate of interest is zero because the nominal rate equals uh, the uh, the real rate equal or the nominal rate equals the inflation rate. So if the real rate of interest is zero, and I think that's the case for Elon Musk and other people like that, roughly. Yeah. So if he sells this asset that appreciates five percent in a year, and he only put one percent down, he can get a five hundred percent return. Oh, sure, on that. sure. Right. Well, so that I think that's what that's what's driving these corporations. Well, the best thing is the best thing in the, purchases. The best thing in the world, if you're in business, is leverage. The worst thing in the world is leverage, right? Oh, it is. Yeah. If that asset goes down five percent, he gets the opposite, right? Well, but because I guess, the I guess Fed creates inflation, you don't have to really worry about the downside too much. Well, I was if thinking can, I, when you, I was defining profits, I was a little different than what you're talking. Oh, I'm glad you said that because that's pretty interesting too. I, see, my. What I'm, I'm talking about profits has now been differently defined. There's there's a couple of companies. Matter of fact, there was a Maddie. Who the hell is the name of the company? Where they maybe about a year and a half ago, but Maddie's members younger, younger and better than mine. There was a firm I was reporting one day where the the sort of a Musk situation, where it was one of these uh, I don't know what it was. It was one of the meme stocks kind of thing where the stock went up so much where the guy who was in charge had the all these stock options and he had to take. He had to because it was. Is that AMC? Might have been. It was. Uh, no, nah, it was one of the ones. Wasn't AMC? They they actually sold Game treasury. Stock? They they sold. Might have been GameStop. Because AMC actually sold treasury stock and and refloated the place when it went up so much. They had, they had some treasury. That's another story. But this this guy essentially uh, exercised his options and sold them. So the guy made, I'm going to say, just to round it off, a billion dollars in like one day. Okay, or some you know nine hundred million, some some god awful amount. Well, not awful, but you. Same with the company ended up going right back down, and they like never paid a dividend. But what I'm going to say is that billion dollars really should be quote profit, and it's not. It's going to this management class. I mean, Tesla shareholders, when 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 uh, Musk, you know, put all his options out there, and he he had to take them right. So he takes them and he paid taxes and and the rest of it he 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 spent on Twitter. Well, then the next board meeting didn't they give him like. I won't say all of them back, but they, they, they basically gave almost as many back, right? But to my, in my way of thinking, back when you and I were younger, those, that's profit. That, sh- that should be dividends to the shareholders, and it's not. It's all going to this management class, just like the excess money at, at Notre Dame or University of Illinois, Notre Dame, Illinois probably worse, is going to the trustees, the administrators, and people there's there's no room for an investor there. The investor really is the state or the people, yeah. and the people are not getting any of that profit. It's it's like if the city gives up money for quote the bears. I mean, at the end of, at the end of the conversation, I think you and I hell and I don't would go over like a fart in church. We'd say, okay, now we just want this new stadium for you, bumps, and uh, we're giving you all this money. Now here's the real conversation: we now own forty percent of the bears because that's how much money we just gave you. And they're like, "Oh no, you don't. The, the, the money's still all ours." Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We just we just gave you <laughs> a half a billion dollars. Why don't we get a piece of what we just gave? That's not the way this works. But that's the way it ought to work, right, Hal? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I if, mean, you, if you look at ninety, if you look at ninety percent of the firms out there, they're probably small businesses. They still operate by that profit motive, yeah. right? But these large corporations, I don't think they're interested in the least bit in uh, profits. I, I think the banks. I think the banks want the Fed to inflate. Uh, 
And if they make bad decisions, man, their losses are covered by the taxpayer, or they're they're, they're covered by this inflation that that's created, right? Well, if if so, if you're an investor in, in PTI, and all of a sudden next year PTI, let's put it this way, expenses, regular revenues minus expenses. I got to be specific about this. Equals ten million bucks. Okay, and you own, you invested in ten percent of PTI, and you say, "Gee, Tom, I think it sounded like we had a pretty good year last year. How did we do it? Oh man, we just made a hundred grand. How did, how did you only make a hundred grand? Well, our expenses were, whatever. What were the expenses? Well, I gave myself a nine point nine million dollar bonus. <laughs> you know, but, but I think that's essentially what's happened. There's never going to be. Yeah. I mean, invest in a restaurant here in Chicago. See if you ever get a dime. If you ever get a dime, if you can be the world's most successful restaurant, and you'll never get a penny, or if you do, you maybe you get your money back. And all the people that are now in, involved in it are making you know a million dollar bonus. So I mean, I think I think that's happening kind of all over the place, and I think it's hurting investment. Yeah. I mean, who the hell would invest yeah. in Northwestern? Or nothing ever spits well, out if, the bottom if line. If I was that investor that bought ten percent of PTI and you gave yourself that kind of uh, bonus, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to sell my shares. And go so who? Else, yeah, who are you, you going to sell? I to? know. Who am I? Who am I going to sell them to? And who am I? What am I going to buy? Right. But I'm saying, on a personal level, you, you can walk in with a club and whack me over the head. But I, <laughs> but you're not. But you're not going to be able to do that to Musk or these other people. They're just going to. No. I mean, do you think Commonwealth Edison? Do you think they care about the dividend? No, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you want to you want to pay some, okay? So you don't want to look yeah. real bad. But you're if, if you were to say, should we buy some stock back or give bonuses out or should we pay a dividend? If you're a board member that says. Uh, uh, you know, we should increase the dividend. It's like you took you put a stink bomb up in that room, right? <laughs> Hell, thank you very much, buddy. Take care of yourself. I'm gonna if I come to New York with Kenny on the New York Stock Exchange, we got to come see you. Can I sit in? Oh back? yeah, definitely. What would I look like in the back of class, other than I don't belong there? You'd be with everybody else because everybody sits in the back of the class because I smell. I guess. Oh god, I always sit in the back row. <laughs> back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708 403 2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1 800 821 4968.